we went, we ran out of whiskey the other day and it was a, it was a problem. <laughs> I actually found a bottle of vodka that I didn't know was there yesterday. <laughs> we were cleaning out the, uh, the big hutch thing and reached way into the deep back of it and was like, what is this? <laughs> Unopened. Jackpot. Is it Stoli? What kind was it? It doesn't matter what kind of liquor it is. It just matters that it's liquor and it can go in your body. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're listening to Tone Benders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with you today, as always, it's Tim Muirhead. Hey, Tim, how are you? Hey, Renee. I am doing well in lockdown, but uh, getting by okay. I've been hearing people need to start calling it hibernation as opposed to quarantine because it makes you feel better about sitting around and getting fat. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm working on that. Definitely, that's Dude, one I'm of on the uh, <laughs> things I'm accomplishing so far. Joining us is my good friend Eric Vale. Eric is a uh, voiceover talent that I've worked with forever. He played Trunks in Dragon Ball Z. Does tons of animated. Does tons of sports. Does tons of everything else. Hey, Eric, how are you, man? I'm great, brother. How are you guys doing? We are doing the best we can with what we got, man. So the thing we're going to talk about today is is related to the whole lockdown situation. And there's a lot of voice actors that are all of a sudden being put in a situation where they have to record from home. And that's something that Eric just went through and a lot of other people have gone through. I stepped Eric through getting his home set up together, but I really wanted to sit and put a whole capsule together in this episode that anyone could hand off to all their voiceover people where they could get the lowdown of busting all the myths and just getting a, a basic idea of how and why of all the parts and pieces on the setup, right? So Eric, when you emailed me initially, the thing you said was, oh my God, do I need to buy a whisper room? Yeah, I was really worried about um, how I was going to keep working, but uh, I guess it was just a matter of, I've, I work in a lot of whisper rooms and I uh, just sort of defaulted right to, that would be kind of like the gold standard, which you quickly told me it was not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so tell me what your impression is of working in a whisper room uh there's no room in a whisper room uh i guess you get okay audio out of it but uh as far as performances go i tend to use my whole body when i perform and performing in a whisper room didn't really uh it doesn't really allow me the elbow room literally that i need to uh right. give the performance that i want to give sometimes and so, Tim, like, do you have any experience with Whisper Room recordings as an engineer, as a mixer? Yes. Uh, a place I used to freelance at a lot, their B room had a Whisper Room, and they did a lot of uh, book recordings, like audio books. Mm -hmm. So if you think it's hot doing a, a commercial or something like that, or a 30-minute <laughs> anime, get in there for uh, an eight-hour day. We had to pause every about 45 minutes, and while the actor rested... I would just open and close the door to try and force air in and out of the tiny space. Uh, it's it's not, I, I've luckily never had to be in one doing all the reading, but uh, it's definitely not comfortable when you see the actor come out of the room covered in sweat. It's a little awkward. Well, and you know, my impression of whisper rooms in a broad sense is, it's that, right? My actors are uncomfortable. But also in addition to that, it's unless they're really big whisper rooms, 
they sound like closets because yes. they they have you know they have walls that are real close to you and the the acoustic treatment on the inside it's just not thick enough to really bust down all that mid-range stuff. Once you get into the mid-range of the voice, it's still bouncing right off that right off that plywood and it feels very very closety. I can hear a whisper room a mile away. This is not to whisper room was never going to sponsor <laughs> tone vendors because <laughs> they're expensive too, right? But they also aren't soundproof. Like they, they don't keep the sounds outside the room from right. getting in very well. They lack a lot of use for my tastes. I'm pu- trying to be nice. <laughs> in the initial email I sent back to Eric, what I said was, "Don't get a whisper room." And the first point, the first reason was that was because a lot of people, especially when they they don't study it and, they, and they're just thrust into the situation, they tend to confuse the difference between acoustic isolation versus acoustic treatment, right? And just to spell it out here, isolation is the process of rejecting sounds from the outside world into your space, right? And isolation really requires a heavy financial investment, right? Because the only way to do that is with mass, like with cinder blocks, you know, or mm-hmm. like triple layer sheetrock. Structure. That's the only way to stop sound from the outside world getting in. Once you get down to certain low frequencies, there's just no other way to do it but to throw like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars at it, which is why I suggest to voice actors that are forced to work out of their home, don't even worry about that. Your closet is not going to have any different acoustic isolation than your office. They're built out of the same structures. They're both going to let the airplane in, and they're both going to some degree keep the outside traffic down to about the same level, right? Just structurally, they're not going to be that different. Maybe if you have an enclosed closet, like on the inside of your room, you might get two layers of that, which would be fine. But in a broad sense, you're not going to get a lot of difference between a closet and an exterior room and the exterior room itself with regards to isolation, with regards to keeping sounds from the outside world out of your mic. So what I tell people is to live with it, right? Deal with the fact that your structure is going to be what it's going to be, right? So the second part of that is acoustic treatment, which is making the room that your microphone is in sound as good and as usable as possible. Now, that has nothing to do with rejecting outside sounds. It's all about making the sounds on the inside of the room sound good. That's where you can do a lot of work, a lot of good for very little money. So that's going to be the broad focus of what we're talking about today is how to treat the inside of your room, how to treat the room that you're actually working in to the degree that it can be super usable and um, and totally acceptable, especially now, right? Um, but you can get even beyond acceptable. You can get interior sounding bedrooms really good. The room I'm in right now is an office. It's a bedroom and I've got acoustic treatment up on the walls. I'm not all the way perfect here, but I'm, I'm pretty good. And this was with, I don't know, 180 bucks worth of treatment up on the walls, which is way cheaper than a whisper room. Yeah. And also a lot of uh, actors, as you mentioned, are in the same predicament of not being able to go into studios right now. I don't know what the deal is in Texas where you are, but up here, the uh, voice actors union, well, the actors union has just put a stop to it. They are not letting their actors go into studios. You can't book an actor to come in even if you wanted to. That's not true in Texas. I think that is true in California. Yeah, I've heard of some people still working in California, um, but not. I don't know of anybody still doing that in Texas. Now, in California, I'm not exactly sure because I know there's a big. Uh, there can be some discrepancies between. Uh, what is a union job versus what is a non-union job. And uh, typically speaking, broadly speaking, anime uh, voiceover is a non-union job. Um, 
So I'm not sure if they have some other standards um, out there. I really don't know because I'm, you know, I'm in Texas. There's always loopholes too, like uh, actors that are voiceover people who are doing it for news programming and stuff can still right. do it and stuff like that. But and there's gray areas, but fundamentally, it's still it's still crazy out there. You still don't want to go get sick. You still do want to be able to work. And now's the now's the time when you do really do need to be able to develop the tools and the techniques to actually record from home. Um, for sure. So let's talk about minimum viable recording setup. And I would even say recording setup. I would say minimum viable voiceover setup would include a microphone, an interface, headphones, and a computer that can run Google Chrome. And from that, you can get a Source Connect live feed out to a studio. You can get some, you know, some software to record with as well. But and, you know, a lot of actors don't even need to record. You just need to get your voice out into somewhere else. So that's that's really it, right? And so as we talk about the microphone in the room, because that's going to be the the most important aspect of the whole thing is the microphone and the room. The rest of it, the interface, man, interfaces all sound good. Uh, you know, modern audio design in the last twenty years has come to a place where interfaces sound good. Your A to D is going to sound good and your recording software that you're using is not going to change the sound at all. So, you know, you use what you're comfortable with, use what you're, what, what is ergonomically, you know, comfortable for you as an actor and don't stress on the sound of any of that stuff because all that stuff, once you get into the digital realm, is just going to be exactly the same as long as you don't screw with it. So, you know, once you get past the microphone stage, a lot of it is very hot swappable, very interchangeable, right? So it's microphone and room, microphone and room, microphone and room is, is the hardest part, the most important part that the actors have to get right. Yeah, I think that's a big mistake a lot of people do is they try and get really expensive interfaces and such when that's not going to change the sound as much as the room and the microphone. Yeah, and even microphone placement. Now, I've got a few mics up that I'll be able to, to uh, illustrate some of the differences with right now. Right now, I'm speaking into a 416. But I've got a variety of things here, including a, a real cheap mic. I've got the 416, which is a standard. I've got an SM7B, which is the other standard. So there's three elements that really interact. If anyone understands like photography, with photography, things like light and your shutter speed and your aperture all interact to set your depth of field and your focus. Sound is very similar in that your loudness and your microphone polar pattern and your room treatment will all interact to define what your sound sounds like. So, and proximity to the microphone. Yeah, in your placement, right? So as you're speaking softer, your room comes less into play. And as you're speaking louder, if you're doing big sportsy reads, broadcasty reads, anime type reads, your room comes more into play. So your read is, is where you're starting, right? Your starting point is how loud are you talking? So one of the clients that I have does a podcast, and it's like a meditation podcast, right? And so he does the whole podcast talking about this loud and about this far from the mic. And it's totally fine, almost no matter what room he's in, because he's not going to excite the room like at all. Now, Eric, our good friend, Monica, her setup, you know, she's doing anime. And uh, just to describe anime, it's it's yelling. You're talking loud. <laughs> <laughs> anime in two words. It's yelling. It's yelling. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of screaming. And that's been mostly what I've done in my career for 20 years is scream. I've learned how to scream really, really well. Um, but, um, yeah. <laughs> and I don't wreck my voice like I used to, but yeah, it's a lot of screaming. And when you get real loud, you start to excite the room. And so the louder your read is going to get, the more treatment you're going to end up needing in your room. So it's, it's a, it's a linear relationship. 
between how loud your normal read is or how loud your, your read in your room is expected to be and how much treatment you're going to need to put on your walls. I want to step back actually and talk about closets uh, and talk about like this space, right? So what I recommended to you, Eric, and what I recommended to, to Ian and to lots of people is get out the closet because in a lot of cases, the closet does has the same downsides as the whisper room. It's walls that are real close to you. It's uncomfortable. It's dark. It's hot. It's going to affect your performance and it's not going to sound that much better. The reason people go to closets as a default is because the clothes in there will act as an absorber and you kind of don't have to do anything else. But the mistake people make is they close the door. And so if you go into the closet in the tightest little space you can find and you close the door, it's just going to sound closety, right? And, and so the closety sound, it's very... It's got a big peak in the low mid range. It can be kind of EQ'd a little bit, but I guess as engineers, the things that we can handle with no problem at all is broadly noise and loudness. And the things that we have issues with is reverberation. We just don't have tools that can turn down reverberation very well. So that's the main responsibility that you as the actor have to handle is the reverberation and the closet reverb. It doesn't sound like hall reverb. It's not like just right? It's this short, chunky reverb. But again, once that cake is baked, it's hard to get it out of there. I've been advising people to come out the closet and into their office, into a space that's more comfortable, where you have more room to work, where you have more light, where you have more AC, because you're just going to do better work. You can deaden the walls as much in an office as you can in the closet pretty easily. So Eric, talk to me a little bit about how much treatment you've done to your room at this point. What have you done? Like what steps did you take? to get your room into a place where you could use it. Uh, I followed all of your advice as far as uh, uh, type of microphone. I got uh, Neumann TLM 103, and mm -hmm. that's been the mic that works best for my voice over the years and at different jobs and at your studio. Uh, I also got some Owens Corning 703 uh, wrapped in fabric, and I've hung those all around my office. Yeah. Uh, got about 10, 11 of those panels of varying sizes all around to hit different spots. And I'm in a room with a bunch, uh, two big bookshelves, and I put a giant ugly carpet on the ground. Yeah, bookshelves are great. Bookshelves and big soft furniture. You can just move into your office and it will act as an absorber. Exactly. You know, so I, I had an actor, I was telling, I forget who I was telling the story to, but I had I had an actor come to me years and years ago and um, she hired me to come help her do her setup in her house. And I went there and she had this weird, tiny little like cubby up near the attic that she was going to set up in. And the ceiling was like, I don't know, six feet tall or something like that. And it was at an angle and it was all hard surfaces everywhere. Right. But in her mind, it was like, I need to be in the most enclosed space I can be so that I can be really, really tight on the mic and that'll be it. And she was walking me through her house and I was like, no, man, rip all of that out of there. Come to the library. You've got this big, beautiful library, like that's got one window on the far end of the house and all these bookshelves up in this beautiful desk that you could just set up right in the middle of that. Dude, she set up right in the middle of that desk with no other treatment at all than her bookshelves up and sounded spectacular. And she was going to sound like the worst closet in the world where her, in her mind, she was initially going to go, you know? Having the room to not have to be right on top of the mic is a huge deal. And that's the other thing about being in a bigger space is that you don't have to be right, right on top of the mic to get your sound. As long as you treat enough of the walls, you're going to be good because here's what I want to do. I'm going to switch mics 
I'm going to go to the MXL 990, a $100 microphone. So right now I'm on the 416. So I'm going to bump over to the MXL 990. I'm going to illustrate a couple of couple of concepts here. So one second. All right, so this is the MXL 990. It doesn't sound nearly as beautiful as the 416, but it's doing what it's got to do. All right, so to illustrate a couple things. So the room that I'm in is treated with, I got one, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight. I've got eight two by four, one inch Owens Corning 703 panels up. I need to put more up. I have more to build downstairs. I'm not done building out what I've got, but this is where I'm at, right? And I'm in about a 10 by 12 office kind of space. Carpeted floors, popcorn ceiling. So if I'm if I'm real close to the mic, if I'm right on it right here, then this is how close I have to be if I'm in a tight space with walls that are real tight on me. And what happens is if I start moving my head around like this, as I'm looking at the top of the script or the bottom of the script, you really start hearing me coming on and off mic a lot. Now, if I back up to, let's say, about 8 inches, 8 to 10 inches, something like this, and I do the same movements with my head right here, you can't hear me moving around on the mic quite nearly as much. Now, you are hearing more of the room, right? So for this amount of treatment in the room, I probably need to split the difference and be about here. So here I'm about six inches away. And here I can still move my head around. I'm moving my head up and down and back and forth and all of that. But I'm not hearing a whole lot of reverberation of the space. And I'm speaking at a normal speaking voice. And so, you know, your placement and your distance is very, very correlated to how much treatment you have up in the space. And it doesn't take a ton, right? I mean, this sound right here, it works. Like if someone sent me this, I could use it, right? Tim, talk to me about like your room and your setup with your mic right now. <laughs> well, uh, that's not a good example right now because I am uh, in my <laughs> well, basement. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, so, so what kind of treatment are we hearing, right? Uh, well, what I have done in this room is filled it with so much chaos yep. that it acts as a sound barrier. Uh, not barrier, but it acts as sound uh, deadening because the room... It used to be a storage space, and now I've packed all the exterior walls with uh, piles of crap. And those boxes and the bookshelves and the stuff like that really deadened down the room a bunch. And now uh, when I move my gear in, it's actually not that bad a space. But uh, I don't traditionally do voiceover recording in here, so it's not uh, something I'm overly worried about. But uh, something that we haven't mentioned that when you're dealing with times like these that are not ideal, you, it might be hard to get specific type of insulation right now if the hardware stores aren't open where you're around. Throwing carpet up on the walls can help. If you have uh, large carpeting in another room, pull it up off the floor, hang it on the wall. That can be a good start right there. The other DIY I would say kind of in that place would be curtains or packing blankets yeah because what curtains do is they give you air gaps right so when you mm -hmm. take the acoustic panels typically you want to hang them with about an inch of air gap uh, i don't know how many centimeters and in inches tim's in canada <laughs> two um, and a half <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you want about an inch of air gap between the panel and the wall so that what happens is your voice traverses the panels and then it has to go through that air gap and then bounce off the wall and go through the air gap again and then come through the panel again before it comes back out. And that air gap actually adds a whole lot of attenuation. And so curtains can do something similar as, you know, they just kind of hang off the edges of the wall. They suck up a bunch of the sound and they, they diffuse it out into like the just the ruffles and the folds of the curtains. And so they can do a lot of, of work, especially if there's any kind of weight to them. If they're, if they're blackout curtains or you can search Amazon for acoustic curtains, they do a lot of work. 
all the way down into the into the mid range of your voice. The hard part is the low frequencies for people that have low voices. If your if your lows are going to be very loud at all, but to get down into into your low mids is is going to do a lot of good work for you and give you a lot of latitude. And you mentioned it earlier about puffy furniture. There, I just hit the the P there hard. Uh, I've got a big <laughs> fat futon behind me that sucks up a lot of stuff, and you, I can see Renee, you've got a nice cushy chair back there. Yeah, uh, I got a big giant chair, and usually there's a cat too. He helps. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I have in mind, uh, I have uh, just the just the two chairs. Sometimes, most of the time, just one chair. Yeah, and so you know, and the reason I kind of wanted to switch over to the hundred dollar microphone also was to illustrate to people that you know, if you if you don't have a setup at all, you can get up and running for probably, I don't know, I think under like maybe four hundred bucks or five hundred bucks, you can get all the way up and running between you know a hundred or one hundred fifty dollar microphone and like you know a Focusrite preamp or something. Now, what if you get like the uh, the Rode USB mic? Do you even need the preamp anymore? No, if you got a USB mic, you're running straight in, right? Yeah, so that could be a way to kind of cut out possible dollars and points of error. Yeah. Yeah. Now the thing about USB mics is they don't scale, but for the purposes of voiceovers, I mean, so be it. There's good there's good USB mics out there now. That didn't used to be the case, but there definitely yeah. are some now. Rhodes got one. Uh there's a Lewitt one that's really good. Um Audio Technica has one as well. Audio Technica's twenty twenty is really good. We set up a, an actor last week for a TV show that we've been working on that she has to work from home. And, and so we set her up with that 2020 USB straight into the computer over Source Connect. Sounds killer. Sounds great. Again, mm -hmm. microphone in room and you're good. I want to illustrate one other mic just to show something different here. I'm going to switch to the SM7B and talk a little bit about dynamic mics. Stand by. And we're back. Hold on. I'll, I'll leave it flat. It's fine. It's fine. All right, so this is the Shure SM7B. I'm going to turn it up. SM7B is a classic radio broadcaster dynamic microphone. This mic is not as big and beautiful as the even, uh, I guess, cheap MXL 990, but it is bulletproof. You can drive a nail with this guy. And the other thing is that I got to be right up on top of it for it to hear me. If I come off eight inches like it was on the MXL, it sounds like that, and I'm just way far away from it. It just doesn't sound like anything. So you got to be right up on the mic. The upside of a mic like this is this hyper forgiving of the room. Because it doesn't hear anywhere but like three inches from in front of itself, it doesn't hear your room reflections hardly at all. And so that's why you see a lot of podcasters, radio DJs, those kind of guys all running SM7Bs and RE20s because they basically don't treat their rooms. They just run these mics, and they, and they do them... I mean, straight up. And I, I forget exactly what episode of our podcast we did, but I did an episode where I was walking around outside hand-holding this mic, and it sounded great. Ice cream truck one. No, it was right around then, though. Ice cream truck was, the, was my PCMD50. I'll figure it out. You keep talking. <laughs> but so the upside of this mic is that you just require way less treatment of your room because it just doesn't hear the room nearly as much, right? If I come off mic like this, it just falls all the way off. And so for a lot of people, especially if you have to be mobile, if you have to be in unpredictable acoustic situations, this kind of mic is just, it's got a way higher floor, even though it's got a lower ceiling as far as sound quality is concerned. The thing about dynamic mics is that they also, 
like this particular mic, Michael Jackson, not this specific mic, but this, the, the SM7B Michael Jackson sang into for Thriller. This is the mic that James Hetfield sung, sings into for, you know, all the Metallica stuff. So you can really push into it and it just, it kind of rounds it off and, and gets, I don't know, pretty sounding when you push a lot of volume into it. It can survive a lot of sonic abuse that a lot of other type mics just really can't. And the proximity effect's nice. You can you can get right on it and it'll do this thing, which is really cool. But you know, the difference is that so when when people are in difficult acoustic situations, um, where they, they can't treat their room at all, I tend to recommend either a dynamic mic like an SM7B or the 416, which is what I was talking to before. The 416, if I switch back to that. Turn her down, turn her down. Turn it down. The 416 is much hotter. But the 416, like I, I can still hold in my hand. I'm hand holding it now. Um, but it also, because it's got a very tight polar pattern, it doesn't hear the room very much as well, right? So the 416 is commonly used in television and film sets on interiors because it does a good job of rejecting the reflections of the rooms on film sets. And also a lot of the, the big voice voiceover guys like the 416 because it's got this sharp kind of edge to it. So it's a really good option too, with regards to if you don't have as much treatment in your recording environment, 416 is a good mic for that. Costs about a grand though. Yeah. That's the downside on that one. Yeah. What's the SM7B again? How much does that cost? Like 400? It's like 300, 300 street, something 300? like that. You know, and you can get a bunch of USB mics for about that. You know, I think that AT2020 is actually 200, something like that. I mean, you know, the state of microphones these days is really good. And so, you know, the large diaphragm condenser, which is the Neumann TLM-103 that Eric's got, the U87, you know, those kind of things. That is the gold standard voiceover microphone is a large diaphragm condenser because that's, that's going to be your top end beauty, right? But it's also going to have the highest room treatment requirements. And price tag. Uh, yeah. I mean, to some degree, I mean, you know, the Rode NT1A or whatever. I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. you can get a large diaphragm condenser for 200 bucks. They might sound a little cheaper, I guess. The one Eric's using isn't a $200 microphone. No, Eric's, Eric's on a thousand dollar mic. I'm on a thousand dollar mic. I mean, you know, we're, we're all professionals. We're using professional equipment here, but you can get a professional sound for, you know, two to $300. You can get into a professional sounding mic. There's no doubt about it. So, but just the physical mechanical characteristics of large diaphragm condensers are that they will bring out the most beauty, right? But they just, they will also reveal all the flaws in your room. The 416 and the, and the SM7B will do a lot more heavy lifting with regards to hiding problems in your recording environment. So there's that. So let's talk about the reflection filters or similar type things, right? The little kind of mini booths that attach to your stand that wrap around the back as I'm hitting my microphone because everyone can see my hands that, that wrap around the back side of your mic, right? They're like kind of U-shaped, you know, things. Um, they might save some of the back end of your mic from some of the reflections in a really, really jacked up room, but they're not going to isolate your mic from anything. And because they tend to have hard backs, they also will introduce their own reflections, Right. Eric, you worked with that with those things a little bit. I have some somewhat a uh, few different jobs, but I've noticed that when I have worked on those or worked with those, that it's been on jobs that aren't, uh, for lack of a better word, the most uh, professional or most professionally run. Uh, for example, they had one of those in a studio where I would record these kind of, you know, 
lower rung type commercials, or, you know, local ones. And it was just me standing in front of that thing, holding a piece of paper uh, in a room with the client sitting a foot and a half to my left, the engineer, you know, three feet in front of me at his desk, uh, all in the same room. And uh, they would tell me to be you know, stop shaking the page that they made me hold on my, in my hand. <laughs> That's the big, even if they do give the sound a percentage better, it would be a very small percentage, but it kills the performance because you can't have a proper stand in front the way you normally would to hold the script and you can't move around. Like it, it makes the sweet spot. It tightens everything up. They are a bane of my existence when you were talking about doing the session i was wincing i don't know if you could see but like they just they i i used to do a lot of freelance work and uh when i get a call to come into a new studio when i walked in and saw one of those i was just like oh god uh this is not where i want to be today what am i doing here yeah they're they're not a panacea they they're expensive too right they're like a couple hundred yeah, bucks or are. something like that man spend that money on treatment for your walls Dude, with 200 bucks worth of Owens Corning 703, you are good, man. <laughs> You're done. Yeah, maybe they work really fantastic on a trumpet for the music guys or something, but they are not worth it for VO. Yeah, big, ugly, heavy, clanky. They don't make your mic sound better. They get in the way. Yeah. Expensive. All right, that's my rant. Done. And scene. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's do a quick dive into software, right? So the standard that most studios are running right now is Source Connect. It's the, I guess, um, heir to what ISDN used to be. It's, it's a software version, high-resolution Skype call that every studio either has or is three clicks away from being able to acquire at any point. Source Connect does not record for you, but it can run parallel to a lot of other recording software. So you can do a Source Connect feed, and you can also have Pro Tools or Twisted Wave or Adobe Audition or whatever up also recording simultaneous. And for a lot of folks, that's all you need. For a lot of folks, you don't need to do much more than than just get the feed together and get a good recording backup together, right? You don't need to be having phone patches. I don't know. What do you think, Eric? Like, what what other technical requirements do you think you need outside of just the straight mic and recording? Um, uh, technical requirements. I'm. I mean, yeah. Source Connect seems to be a big deal, or some other way to connect to the clients who want you. But uh, it's my experience at this point that the thing that you want to have is the best sounding equipment possible. So spend a little bit of money on a microphone that it works best with your voice. Uh, that's, that's what I think. Have you ever used Zencaster? I used it once. Yeah. I was do, uh, involved in a test with it today for an animated series. I'm not actually working on an engineer friend just asked a bunch of us to get on the line so he could kind of go through the, cause they're going to be doing a session soon with it. So what they did was they ordered a bunch of the Rode USB microphones and had them shipped to the actors on this series. And the actors are going to be plugging them in. And with Zencaster and Zoom combined, they're going to do the sessions. And so Zencaster records the audio on the actor's local computer. And then when you close the session, sends it all to the studio or uploads it somewhere for you to go get. It dumps it into a Dropbox folder. Yeah, Dropbox folder. So... The recordings are local, not through the uh, internet. And uh, they seem to be quite good with the tests we were doing today. And you can also, through Zoom, share the screen of the progression of the call so that uh, 
a script assistant can be writing down when the different takes are on that file with you're not getting time code per se but within each file you can have you know in take seven at three minutes in was when we did lines 27 to 42 run and the fourth one is the take and it's at two minutes and 30 seconds into that file so like it hopefully we'll be able to find things later and they're going to do a session with it and see how it goes. But that's a different approach that I hadn't seen anyone else doing. Because you're right, Renee, everyone's doing Source Connect, but they were having problems with Dropout. So they're, they're yeah. looking for an alternative. I'm running into a show also where basically I'm cut out of the recording side loop now because just for cost reasons, because everyone's unemployed. But so what I've, what I've been doing this past week is setting up the director and the actor to where the director can direct the actor over, over Skype. And they can communicate in such a way that the actor will slate the takes and then the director will say, all right, I like take 4C there. And then the actor will say, good, keeping take 4C. And then they'll move on to line 32, right? And then all of that will basically get spoken into the mic. And then me having not attended the session, I should be able to get the file back, listen to it, and then cut the selects into place, given line numbers and time codes and the whole thing, right? Having even never participated in the session. So we ran a test on that kind of workflow last week, and that seemed to have worked well too. So yeah, we're all just having to invent it and figure it out. So the actor was just recording locally onto their yeah. own hard drive. Yep. Yeah. So we were testing with Zencaster with having uh, the script assistant who uh, was being played by myself. I, they were recording me, and all I was doing was just at the beginning of the take, so the actor didn't have to worry about this stuff. It was just going, you know, uh, take seven, line run, blah, 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 take one. And yeah. so... Uh, and then the rest of that file was just going to be blank because yeah. I just muted my mic after that. So that way it was baked in without the actor having to uh, take that on as well. You know, the other thing that I had to deal with in our particular show was it's a dub from Portuguese into English, right? So I had to do some pre-production on it where so the script supervisor had to label all of the English translated lines. And then I had mm -hmm. to go back into the Portuguese and cut the Portuguese into individual files so that the director could then basically play back line 14 in Portuguese. And then the actor could hear that cadence and tempo and then say line 14 in English. And then they'd have an idea if they were ballparked or not. And if you're in the ballpark, I can get you there. It's only when there's just way too many words or way few words. And then it's like, it's a red flag. It's obvious because we just played the line in Portuguese, right? So even with no video reference, at least we have a line audio reference and that works. So there was that. As producers and as engineers, it is important for us to try and take as much off of the shoulders of the actors as we can right now. It's hard enough just to step in front of a mic and act. And the more things that the actor has to deal with, the more that's going to ultimately affect the performance. Well, even as uh, Eric was saying earlier, the size of the space they're in affects the performance. If you can't swing your arms around when you're trying to do uh, anime acting in particular or some kind of crazy cartoon acting, if you're stuck in a small confined space, that will definitely affect the final product. Yeah. And fundamentally, I mean, right now, you know, we're all in this together. This is a global pandemic and people are going to be pretty forgiving of things. But with that said, it's still a competitive marketplace. And the people that can figure out workflows and methodologies to do it well and not lose quality are going to be the ones that win the work. Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, hopefully, sure. <laughs> hopefully that that means me. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you know, I love my fellow actors, but I got to look out for number one. Well, you know, it's. Uh, I've, I've been, I've been setting up so many people. Like I was talking to, to my boss today and, you know, between him and me, we've over the last week, at least put in 20 hours helping actors get set up. Oh, one thing that I was dealing with somebody else today was 
As an engineer, what I like from an actor is a flat, non-processed recording, right? I like mic to preamp to disc, mic to preamp to disc. And that's what I like, right? A lot of actors have a whole bunch of other crap in their lines, especially the old school broadcast guys. The old school radio guys will have their DBX processors and this and that. And I'm hoping that this particular podcast makes it out into the ears of a whole bunch of actors. And the thing that I would like to say as an engineer to the actors is it's okay to have a certain amount of processing on your voice if you're handing it directly to a picture editor or video editor, because those guys will generally not do anything and they will just take your voice as it is and slap it in there. And that's what goes to air. But if it's going to any kind of post situation at all, bypass all the stuff mic to preamp to tape and send it to me that way. And then I will do a lot of the processing in the context of the read and in the context of everything else, you know, an exposed acting real person read is going to be compressed and EQ'd entirely differently than a hyped sports voiceover over rock and roll. It just will. And so if you pre-bake that into your read, I'm locked into whatever you did. Yeah, and and it's not really as a performer up to me to do all of that. That's uh, I trust the directors, producers, and engineers mostly to facilitate the read the way that it's asked for. Um, I can follow directions from all of these sources, but ultimately I don't I don't want to do a whole lot of um, upfront editing or processing before I send off the file. Yeah. Just, just, just don't bake too much because the, the mistake I see a lot of people make is they'll over compress or they'll, Definitely. they'll set the gate in the wrong spot or they'll do too much EQ. Like the guy I was talking to today, he has, he had a Neumann TLM 103. And the thing about the TLM 103 is it doesn't have a high pass filter on it. It'll record all the way down into the floor and it, it can get real fluffy and rumbly. And so this guy had the low end, the extreme low end, boosted on that mic and then he had a gate chopping it real hard and so he had two things like working in opposition to each other and you know actors the reason actors are actors are because they're empathetic and they're working on being actors right they're not working on being engineers that's that's not their training that's not their background right a lot of actors come to engineers and be like set this up for me and they will just Take what we say and just call it gospel, whether we're right or not. And some people get led astray in spots, you know, and, you know, just do less, do less, leave it flat. Right. And I think a lot of actors, I mean, look, actors historically get led astray in a whole bunch of different areas, not just in how they're setting up their booth at home to survive a global pandemic. So, um, you know, like you were saying, you know, it's our job to emote. It's our job to make sure that we're delivering the reads that people are looking for. Um, so that's what we need to be focused on. Uh, not all the, all of the tech. I mean, it, I would say it does require a certain investment. Like I, the, the, one of the things that really bothers me is professional voice actors that never have progressed beyond audacity. And, you know, if you're using the cheapest, worst, freest software out there, you're handicapping yourself and why you can spend 70 bucks on twisted wave. Or if you're on PC, go to Adobe audition because it's free for 90 days right now during the lockdown, you know, get something that's ergonomic that doesn't suck. And you know, even if you just spend a little bit people will spend thousands of dollars on their microphone and zero on their software. And it freaks me out. 
It freaks me out. Well, it's probably because actors are, uh, you know, by nature, we enjoy the tangible, what what we can see, what we can feel. And we are staring at this microphone every time <laughs> we're in a booth. And so inevitably, you're going to read what the name is. You're going to read what uh, kind of brand it is and, and learn when what type of mic you sound best on. So you do that and then... You you assume as an actor and not an engineer that the microphone is where everything is housed, that that is the singular piece of equipment that's going to take you to the next level or or going to uh, help you facilitate the types of reads your client's looking for. But that's not necessarily true. You need a whole bunch of other pieces to that. That's why <laughs> that's why every studio that you go into has all that crap. Yeah. If you're on a Mac and you're a voice actor. Twisted Wave is simple. It does everything you need to do. It's ergonomic. It works great. Costs 70 bucks. If you're on a PC, I say Adobe Audition, probably. I don't know what the other equivalent of that would be. But get something that's straightforward, not too deep, does the things that you need it to do, and you know doesn't suck. I think Audacity just sucks. I hate Audacity. I hate it. <laughs> I use Twisted Wave uh, a lot. It's pretty simple. And uh, I, I have a whole lot of luck with how intuitive the interface is it doesn't take a lot of work to figure that sort of stuff out i've also recently uh with this new world that we're in uh, i got adobe audition i'm messing around with that seeing how that plays with everything else yeah it's more intuitive and you know you do have to spend a little bit of money sometimes to get up to you know get up to standard right you don't have to rebuild a whole studio you know, you do have to get some panels up on the wall, buy some curtains, do that kind of thing, move some stuff into the room. You do have to get a at least $150 microphone most of the time. If you get a $30 microphone, you're still not there yet, probably, right? You know, you don't have to go nuts. You do have to cross the bar. The bar's not incredibly high, but you do have to cross the bar. And then you're there, you know? You're a professional. Eric, you make a good point about people who have been doing voiceover for a long time Because if they asked about doing this 10, 15, 20 years ago, it would have involved ISDN lines and complicated, expensive things that that is not there anymore. So it's a a much lower bar to entry than it used to be. It is. But, you know, again, like you're saying, you have to spend some money. If if you're not taking a portion of the money that you're earning and reinvesting it back in yourself, your equipment, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. It's not free, but it's also not a hundred grand. Exactly. Cool. Well, happy lockdown, everybody. (laughs) Stay safe. (laughs) Wash your hands. Stay inside. (laughs) Yeah. Send us emails with your questions. Maybe we'll do a follow-up. And uh, if you're an engineer that's doing stuff with remote actors using software or uh, techniques that maybe we didn't talk about, also write us an email. Let us know about it. Let us know what's working for everybody out there. Yeah. Oh, I got to say, before we sign off, I did do a test with Nathan Moody with uh, some software from Audio Movers called Listen To that also worked mm-hmm. great. Full resolution, streaming, you could set the uh, the buffer to match a Zoom feed and um, Pro Tools Expert had a, uh, had a blog post about it and uh, we proof of concepted it, worked perfectly, worked exactly like they said, so that's another Source Connect alternative if Source Connect's servers go down. Requires a little more knowledge. So, if you go to the uh, tonebenderspodcast.com to this episode's page, we'll have a bunch of links to the various microphones we've mentioned, the various software that we mentioned, and uh, anything else that we talked about a bit. You might be able to find a link there to do your own research from. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. See you next time. See ya. 
Filmbenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.